Good morning, friends. This is Matthew, the parish pastor here at Trinity in Decatur. I'm coming to you this morning from the east side. As we're settling into our new normal with one another of doing video church, virtual gatherings, and so on, it's really important to me that you are up to date with what's going on. And the best way for you to stay up to date with what's going on is for you to be on our weekly reader email list. So if you got an email today, Sunday, from Trinity Eastside, then you're good. You don't have to do anything. But if you didn't get an email from Trinity Eastside today, then uh, after the sermon, after the service, take a couple minutes, go on our website, atltrinity.org, go to the Eastside page, scroll down, click on the Get Updates button, and that's where you can put your email address in. We're not going to fill your inbox in with a bunch of junk. Two times a week, you'll get updates from us, as well as devotional and education materials and just, you know, just general, like, this is what's going on at Trinity right now so that you can uh, continue to do church with us. It's really important that we do this together. So make sure you're getting the weekly reader from the east side. I'm going to read uh, our text today. It's from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And after reading, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll jump in. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that what is available to us is life. Um, That through you, we can find life and peace. And Lord, I would just imagine that many of us this morning are in need of those two things. So we open ourselves to you, God. We We stretch out our hands to you. We lay hold of your promises. We receive your presence. Holy Spirit, would you please be present in each apartment, in each home, with your church? Would you minister to us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So there are a lot of really big ideas in this uh, story, and I, I pull out four big ones that I think speak to kind of our season where we are right now, and so I'm just going to jump right in and we'll, we'll move through them pretty quickly. The first is this, the presence of Jesus brings peace to his friends. Jesus' friends at the beginning of the story are locked in a house because they're afraid. They're afraid because they think that something bad's going to happen to them. Now, these people who earlier in the day had had women come from the tomb, burst in the doors and say, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. These people who John and Peter had stood up just hours ago and they had, they'd rushed to the tomb and they'd run inside and they'd seen that it was empty and they'd checked everything out and they'd seen the linens folded neatly because Jesus made his bed when he rose from the dead. And, and they'd seen all this and yet here they were still at the end of the day afraid. It's almost like it's possible to, 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 to believe something really good has happened and to still feel fear. It's almost like it's possible to be that internally divided. In fact, I would imagine that a number of us feel that way, that, that, that our problem is not a lack of ultimate knowledge right now. It's a, it's, it's a lack of uncertainty around what is happening immediately. It's the feelings that are being sort of stirred up in a number of us. And Jesus finds his friends, his followers, who had abandoned him during his trial, and they were not there for his crucifixion. And now on the day of his resurrection, they're still hiding in a house and cowering, and he finds them, and his word to them is not, now this is disappointing. He does not show up and say, tisk tisk for shame. No, he shows up, and his word to them is peace, or uh, more appropriately, shalom a Hebrew word that is loaded down with far more freight than the English word peace. It's not merely the absence of conflict that he's offering to them. It is life as it's meant to be, a life that God made the world to live in, a rich state of affairs, full flourishing and abundance in God. Jesus finds his followers and he says to them, this is yours, shalom to you. And I just want to say to you at the beginning of this sermon that I, I know we are in all sorts of different places right now. Some of us are experiencing all kinds of fears around finances, around health, around people we care about, around the uncertainty, around government. Jesus finds us in our fear and he offers peace to us. That's his word to you today. Peace. Be at peace. He says this to his friends and we are his friends. The second thing that happens is Jesus does three things. He shows them his scars. He breathes on them and he commissions them. So we're going to go through those uh, one at a time. First of all, he shows them his scars. This has been, uh, well, every year this time of year, every year for Easter, this always marks me as being really significant, that the resurrected body of Jesus had scars. And the reason it's significant to me is because the resurrected body did not need to have scars. Jesus' body was not resuscitated. It was renewed. It was made into a new thing. It was, it was resurrected. It had new power. It had new capabilities. And there's no mention in any of the Gospels that the resurrected body of Jesus had the scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns or the scars on his back and side from the scourge. And yet he did have on his body certain scars that were a part of his ultimate shame and suffering, his death by crucifixion on a cross. I was thinking about this over the weekend because Good Friday, Holy Saturday, I was just reflecting on this a lot. I did the Stations of the Cross meditation that Trinity put out, and I hope a number of you did as well. And it was really meaningful to me to spend some time uh, looking at these illustrations of Jesus' sufferings. And I kept looking at 
illustrations that had his hands in them, and I just chased that down. What, what was it about his hands? And the more that I thought about it, the more that I, I, I realized that his hands looked wrong. <laughs> that the reason I kept looking at his hands as he's going through the trial and the torture and the carrying of the cross and so on, is his hands, they, they were missing something they were supposed to have. They didn't have the nail holes on them that they're supposed to have because it's the scars on Jesus that make it Jesus. In fact, after thinking about it further, I realized that every time I see an artistic representation of Jesus, the first thing I look for is the scars. Because it's, it's almost like it's the scars that make it Jesus. That without, without them, it's just some other guy. As Thomas says, it's so, so sim- simply, I will know it is him when I see the scars. Unless I see the scars, I will not know it's him. God has decided, for whatever reason, God has decided to mark permanently on the body of Jesus the scars of his shameful crucifixion, which has me thinking about our own resurrection. The the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, which means he is the evidence of what the rest of the crop is going to look like. So we can learn a lot about ourselves by looking at the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that I feel certain is true is that the the things that have happened in our life that have been deeply painful, and I'm not talking about the scar on my forehead from when I cracked my head open in sixth grade or the scar on my knee where I tore my leg open and spent the summer on a couch. I, I mean like the things that are the, the most difficult, the most painful, the most exquisite suffering, even the most traumatic, that there's something about them perhaps that actually follows us into the next life. It's not as if God just expunges the record and erases them from memory as though they never happened, but they somehow become a part of our glory. They somehow become a part of the, maybe they somehow become like the first thing we show a person. Which, think about, think about what sort of renewal work would have to happen in you. Think about what God would have to heal within you to make the most difficult parts of your life the thing that you show first. Because because the healing had been so complete, because the restoration had been so total. That there's something about God, he just, he wastes nothing. He does not scratch things from the storyline because that would be easier. But instead, he makes them a part of our distinctive beauty. He makes them a part of what makes us, us. He shows them his scars. Then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He commissions them. He commissions them. He gives them a holy calling to be uh, reflections of God on the earth as he has been a reflection of God. Now, this does not simply mean like be like Jesus in that we do what Jesus did. Um, I had a really good friend who sent me a quote this week from uh, one of my favorite spiritual writers, Henry Nouwen. And uh, it really changed my thinking on vocation, this quote. What Nouwen writes is, when the imitation of Christ does not mean to live a life like Christ, but to live your life as authentically as Christ lived his, well, then there are many ways and forms in which a woman or a man can be a Christian. So when we talk about being a people who are growing into Christ's likeness, we do not simply mean a group of people that are all doing exactly the same thing, but that each one of us in our own distinct and authentic ways are reflecting God through ourselves on the earth. The thing that is maybe most remarkable about Jesus is his his utter consistency, whether he's on a mountain with God all night or he's in a boat with his disciples or he's hanging between two thieves on a cross. Jesus is always himself. 
He is always nothing but himself. He is not living up to other people's expectations of him. He is not impressed or bothered by other people's disappointment with what he's like. He is himself to the core. And part of what it means for you and me to follow Jesus and to live into this calling, this vocation of as the Father has sent me, so I send you, is for us to recognize that what we are called to be is ourselves. And maybe while we're down, you know, in lockdown currently, maybe that's all we can do. You know, my vocation is not going to be the great things I'm doing right now, the super important things. Most of Jesus' calling was actually lived off the grid. Most of his significance was never seen. In fact, John tells us as much. He says he did so many things that we didn't even write down. There's so much more to say. Most of your calling, most of your vocation, is something that no one will ever see except maybe a handful of people. It's the, it's the thing that you're doing right now. It's the person you are right now. That's what you and I are called in to be, to be ourselves in this moment. And I don't mean as though authenticity is like the highest goal, because that's not it. Because Jesus was not simply authentic. He was also pure and uh, powerful. And because of that, his life had deep consequence to it. But the part of it is recognizing that what we're called to be first is to be yourself. And that's what we can offer to one another right now. And then Jesus, finally, he breathes on them and he says, and this is how you're going to do it. You're going to do it with the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. And of course he breathes on them because we already looked at this last week. John is rewriting Genesis for us. He starts in a garden, just like in the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis chapter 2, we, we read that God formed Adam. He formed Adam, that's the Hebrew word, out of the dust of the ground, Ground is Adama. So the Lord God took together the Adama and he made out of it Adam. And the thing that distinguishes Adam from Adama is that Adam has the breath of God, the wind of God in his lungs, and he becomes a living being. That same breath that is right now rolling in and out of your lungs and mine, God puts this into Adam, and this is what makes him living. And so here we are. Jesus is reenacting the whole thing for us. He says, I'm calling you to a holy vocation, just, just like my father called Adam and Eve to a holy vocation. To have dominion on the earth, to be my reflections and my representatives. As the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. And here is the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, by which you will do this. Which means that you and I must come to grips with the reality that we have to develop an awareness of and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to begin to be drawn and pay attention to the the voice and the presence of the Holy Spirit and to ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to ask for an awareness of how the Holy Spirit is moving because it is by the Holy Spirit that you and I will be able to live out the thing that God has called us to do. And I have to recognize that my limitations right now, and we're all experiencing extreme limitations, my limitations in no way impede my ability to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to be reflection of God to those around me. And that's the calling on my life. Finally, we have this whole other story in here about Thomas. Thomas, who unfortunately has been dubbed Doubting Thomas by the church. It's not fair. It's an unfortunate name. Thomas was not there when all of his other friends were. They see the living Jesus. He doesn't. He asks a question, and he gets dubbed forever Doubting Thomas. It's very unfair. And yet, what Thomas does do for you and me is important. Thomas shows you and me something significant about the life of of a Christian. He shows us very simply that doubt is part of the journey. 
Doubt is part of the journey. It's not an impediment to the journey. It is a part of it. He asks a question and Jesus finds him and does not shame Thomas. He finds him and speaks a word of peace over him. He lets him touch the scars. He obliges the question. I have always found that God is remarkably willing to oblige my questions. He's willing to listen to them and answer. I think God loves questions, to be honest. I think he loves them. I think it's one of the reasons why he's so cryptic. The God who reveals himself as one who thunders on Sinai and then is born in a manger to peasants and then dies between thieves on a cross, this God raises questions. He raises them all the time. Why are you the way you are? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you reveal yourself the way you do? I think God loves questions because in a question, there is this implicit desire for a response. A question actually creates an opportunity for relationship. And in that sense, when you think about questions that way, questions are actually profound moments of faith. If I'm willing to cast a question into the air and hope that it lands somewhere, I'm actually doing something that is far more faithful than just suppressing questions because I'm afraid of them. Doubt is a part of the process. Jesus finds Thomas in his doubt and does not shame him, but blesses him and gives him an answer. And I think God would do the same thing for you and me in this season. He wants to answer those questions that we have at this time. He's not embarrassed by them. He's not afraid of them. He's not ashamed of them. He loves us and wants to offer us the peace that comes on the other side of an answer. John says at the end of his story, these things have been written down so that you and I may have life in his name by believing. It's important for you and me to recognize that the thing that makes a person a Christian is not how great or, or robust their faith is, but the thing that makes us a Christian is that our faith is in a great and robust Savior. As Tim Keller says it, the pastor from New York City, he says, it is not the strength of our faith, but it is the object of our faith that actually saves us. Strong faith in a weak branch is totally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. And so maybe right now you, you just have like a little bit to offer to God. You just have a little bit of openness. Can God handle all of it? Yes, he can handle all of your doubt. He can handle all of your faith. He can handle all of you, the full weight of you. But maybe you're not able to offer the full weight. Maybe you can just offer a little bit of weight. God can handle that too. Because the, the, the thing that gives us life is not that we have great faith in a, in a small God, but it is that we have even small faith in a great God and a person who will always come through for us, who will never let us down, who comes to us no matter how afraid we are, how anxious we are, and says to you and me, peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In this world you will have trouble, but Take heart, I have overcome the world. Be at peace. And so we're going to uh, pray together. We're going to confess our sins. We're just going to acknowledge to God that there's a lot of ways that we haven't trusted in him. And maybe, um, maybe we haven't looked to him for peace. Maybe we've been looking to a lot of other things. So we're going to pray a prayer that we pray every Sunday. And I would just encourage you to stand or if you want to stay seated, but just put your hands in front of you. Take a moment and just open yourself up to God. And remind yourself with your body that you're opening yourself up to him. And let's pray these words with one another.
Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. May the Almighty God have mercy on you. Through Jesus Christ, may he strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may he keep you in eternal life. Amen. The scriptures tell us in 1 John that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. All of God's movement towards us is renewal. His movement towards us is restorative. He cleanses us, he forgives us, and he offers us his peace. And so I say to you, may the peace of Christ be with you. If you happen to be with someone right now, um, why don't you go over to them and share the peace with them. And then Micah is going to lead us through one final song, and we'll gather together at the end to pray.